Before we have our reading, I'd like to give you a little background to give it some context. This Sunday, we move on from that parting of the Red Sea that we looked at last Sunday. We move on from that event that is a seminal event, that is an important event where Yahweh, the, the God of Israel, finally and decisively defeats the gods of Egypt. And up to this point, that we get to today, God has taken his people out of Egypt. And from here on, God begins the protracted and painful process of getting Egypt out of his people. He's got them out of Egypt, and he's got to get Egypt out of them. And what I mean by that is he's got to get them to understand their new identity as free people, who belong to him and him alone. And we're presented in this next section of the story with three events. This morning we're looking at an event which happens at a place called Mara, where there is bitter water, where God causes a miracle to happen. And then after next Sunday, we're going to look at another miracle, the miracle of manna and quail in the desert. And thirdly, and lastly, we look at the first incident of water coming from a rock. I say the first incident because there are two incidents of that miracle that happen in the journey of Exodus. And these three events that happen in this next part of the story all fall into a pattern. First, the people grumble to Moses about the lack of water or food. It happens there in the desert. And then Moses has a conversation with God, taking this complaint of the people to God. And then God graciously works a miracle and gives the people what they need. It happens in all three of these stories. This is a pattern, but there are unique elements in each of these stories that teach us something about the people of God, and that includes us, and about God, and about the relationship between us and God, and how that relationship is supposed to work. And so we come to this first of these three stories in this next section of Exodus, and Maggie's going to come and read for us. So reading from Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 22 to 27. The waters of Marah and Elam. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to, into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, 
They could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place was called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together as we turn to reflect on God's word. Lord, we we sit with your book open. This book is a strange one. It's so unlike other things that we read day in and day out. This book is strange because we need something to unlock it. and We need a key. Lord, thank you that you have given us that key in your Holy Spirit. And we, we pray right now that you would anoint us with that Holy Spirit to understand this book that you have given us and that you promise us will bring us life. Come, Holy Spirit, inspire our time of reflection, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dive into the first of these three episodes in this next section of Exodus. The people have seen God do an amazing thing through the sea there in chapter 14. And at the beginning of chapter 15, they spend time celebrating. They're they're dancing and they're singing. They're on a high. But it doesn't last long. In a hot and thirsty land, they travel for three days and they run out of water. Now, it's really important in Scripture to see patterns and patterns within patterns and the occurrence of symbols and the significance of numbers. It's that type of book. (laughs) It's meditation literature. It's meant to be read over and over again and it's meant to be read in the company of others who are reading it over and over again who are finding patterns and symbols and meaning and the story we're looking at is full of those patterns and symbols two of the symbols that stand out in scripture from the very beginning from genesis all the way through to Revelation. Two of those symbols are water and trees. Water and trees. 
and they're in our story this morning. Let's first look at water. From the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 2, there is water. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, God goes on in that creation story to divide the waters, and he brings forth land. Water here, as elsewhere in Scripture, is a symbol of chaos. And there in the creation story, God brings forth order, and he brings forth life out of chaos. And chaos represented by those waters throughout the rest of the story struggles to regain dominance over and over again. The floodwaters in the Noah story are a reflection of moral chaos of the human world. And again, in that story, God brings forth life from the midst of the waters of chaos. God saves Noah, he saves his family, and he saves the animals in the ark. And in the story we covered last week, the children of Israel are caught between the waters, the sea, and Pharaoh's armies. But God, as he did in Genesis, divides the waters. He exposes land, and the people walk through to life. The images of thundering seas, waves, and cataracts of water are common pictures of chaos and disaster all over the Old and the New Testament, but especially in the poetic books of the Bible. But there, each time that chaos tries to regain dominance, God is always victorious. He always saves from the midst of the waters. And chaos, that's a negative image of water that we find in Scripture, and we find it often. But water is also, also seen in positive terms. Water, especially fresh, non-salty water, rivers and springs, water to drink. It's all the good stuff in the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 2, there is another picture of creation. This time the land is dry. It's a dry desert with no living thing. And the text says, by God's agency, streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, and a river flowed from Eden. We see vegetation and trees and animals coming into the whole world. Ancient Near East was a thirsty land. Water was important, and it's still important and a rare commodity in that part of the world. Wells and springs of water are rare and important in the Bible's story. And the image of water is highly symbolic of God's providing, as he did there in Genesis chapter 2. He will do over and over again. Water given by God makes for life, and it makes for sustenance. 
Water given by God symbolizes the coming kingdom and, and eternal life that is to be had in that coming kingdom. Now, that's water, but what about trees? Well, trees and water have a symbiotic relationship, don't they? You, you can't have trees without water. Not only is water scarce in the part of the world where the narrative takes place, but trees, too, are less common than they are here in our green and pleasant land. I think after yesterday's storm, we would have hoped that we had fewer trees because <laughs> they've landed on a few people's cars, which is sad. And we have lots of words for trees and plants in English. Hebrew, too, has different words, but the word most often used for trees is the word ets, E-T-S or E-T-Z. And this word also designates any plant, any shrub. Can we go to the next slide, please? There we go. There's the word ets in Hebrew. It, it designates a tree, but it can mean any plant, a shrub, a branch, a, a towering oak, a cedar, or even a piece of wood. So sometimes when we come across wood or tree in our English Bibles, it's, it's good to change it up a bit and use these alternate words instead and, and see where we might make connections with other stories that include wood and trees and bushes and vines in the Bible. And we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. Trees and the things that happen under or near trees are really important in the Bible. Of course, we all know the famous trees in the Garden of Eden. And we know the story of humanity's first transgression that happened there under or by a tree. Water and ets, wood or trees, of course, features in our story this morning. Well, first off, there is the bitter water at Mara. Now, it's possible to speculate a naturalistic explanation for what happens here. Moses knew his bushcraft. He had been a shepherd in that wasteland. He probably knew about bits of wood or, or trees that could make bitter water sweet. But what the narrative presents us with here is no less than a miracle. God shows Moses the right tree, and because the tree or that bit of wood is put in the water, this vast army of people is saved from death by thirst. And trees and water also feature at the end of our passage. God brings the people to a place called Elam. Here there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. So these symbols, water and trees, appear in our passage. But what are they signifying here in this story in particular? And what of the overall passage. What is it saying? Well, on first glance, when you first read the passage, it seems to be a pretty straightforward travel log with this amazing miracle thrown there in the middle. 
But what stumps me is the second half of verse 25 and verse 26. I think we'll get that up on the, on the screen. There you go. What does it mean that the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test? That's the first puzzle in this passage for me. I'm not seeing the answer anywhere obvious in this passage or what has come before in Exodus. Ruling and instruction are technical words that are later used of the law that God gives his people. But the giving of the law hasn't happened yet, has it? That, that won't occur until the people get to Mount Sinai, where Moses is given those famous Ten Commandments on stone tablets, and where Moses is also given all the other rulings and instructions and the law of God. So that's the, the first puzzle. But my second puzzle is, what does it mean that God put them to the test by giving them, them these rulings and instructions? And further down, the people are told that if they pay attention to God's commands and they keep all his decrees, the people won't suffer any of the diseases of Egypt. Well, diseases of Egypt, I think we can assume, is an allusion to those plagues in Egypt, you remember, from the first part of Exodus. But then God says, I am the Lord who heals you. Well, that's puzzling, too, if they're... We're not going to get the diseases. Why will they need healing? Now, reading through this passage several times, I, I came away very perplexed. Uh, but now, having spent some time with my study buddies on Tuesday night and having gone back to my books and pondered and prayed over it a bit more, I think I'm beginning to see what's going on here. So. Here goes my stab at an interpretation. So first off, that first puzzle, what are the rulings and instructions and commands that are mentioned here? Well, I take them to mean God's revelation of himself. Certainly when the law does come five chapters later there on Mount Sinai, the law is a revelation of who God is. And ultimately, in all his commands, what God demands of his people is to be like him. He reveals himself so that we can be like him. And here in this story, God doesn't give specific commands, but God does reveal himself. God gives instruction by walking with the children of Israel. And he walks with, with them like he has never walked with anyone before. God is constantly with them. He is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The children of Israel are getting to know God with every step and with every encounter that they have with him. He is revealing his instruction, 
his law that gives them life or is intended to give them life. The test mentioned here comes at a time when it is obvious how much the children of Israel do not reflect God's character. They haven't taken on board the instruction. They're not like God. Here in this story there at the waters of Mara, God is faithful and he is patient. He cares for them. But in contrast, they are fickle, they are complaining, and they are unfaithful. Here, as everywhere, when humans encounter God, they are found to be wanting. They fail the test over and over again. As we observed last week, the Israelites, and we for that matter, are no better than the Egyptians. The Israelites deserve the diseases that afflict the Egyptians. Now, that's a harsh thing to say, but it is the reality, and history bears it out. The Israelites will, in later times, the scriptures say, receive the just punishments for their sins. They might not experience the specific plagues of Egypt, but they will experience famine and locusts and invasion. And those plagues, according to the scripture, are punishment for their sin. That's the harsh reality of people, unholy people, living with a holy God. God's presence with them shows them up for what they truly are. God's presence with us shows us up for what we truly are. But God isn't in the business of being with us just to show us up. God is with us to redeem and to heal. At the very end of verse 26, God declares in the face of all their failures at the waters of Marah, I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. Though you stumble, though you fail this test, your survival and your victory is not dependent on you. I will Heal you, says the Lord. You need only trust in me. I am the Lord who heals you. What seems to be happening in this story is a reversal of a pattern that we see way back there in the Garden of Eden. After God has called them and blessed them with authority in his creation, human beings disobey. Adam and Eve disobey. They turn their backs on God and they are sent out from the garden into exile. We see that pattern often in scripture, disobedience, punishment through exile. But that was then. Here, God, with a mighty hand, brings these people out of exile on the way back to a garden. 
Like Adam and Eve, these folks disobeyed, but instead of sending them back into exile, God performs a miracle for them, and God shows his amazing grace and patience with them. And as if to underline the reversal of the Eden story, in the very next verse, the children of Israel come to Elam. They come to an Eden paradise. They come to an oasis in the desert with, surprise, surprise, water and trees. And there they camp beside the water in God's presence. Water and trees. We miss something when we read the NIV translation of the account of the miracle at Mara, that translation that we did read. In truth, Moses is shown not just a piece of wood as it has it there in the NIV, but the Hebrew word there is ets, E-T-S. And so it's ambiguous whether it's a piece of wood, a, a shrub, or even a tree. It could be that it was a living tree that God showed Moses there. And that's how the King James Version has it. The Lord showed, S-H-E-W-E-D, him a tree. Now, think a bit. When was the last time in this story of Exodus that God showed Moses a tree? Or rather, when did God speak to Moses from a tree. That's right, back there in Exodus 3, God appears in a burning bush. Is there a connection? Might there be a connection? Here's another God event happening at a tree. And might this whole episode point forward to another tree? to the ultimate God event that happens on a tree. Now, ets, E-T-S, can mean tree or wood or bush or shrub, but it can also mean a cross. In several places, the Jewish authors of the New Testament speak of Jesus being hung on a tree. It's not that they are confused. A wooden cross and a tree can be referred to by the same word, ets, in their native language. There on the cross, on the tree of Calvary, God meets humanity like he met the children of Israel by the waters of Marah. He meets them there wanting to reveal himself. He meets them there not just to judge them for their failures, not just to test them, but to heal and to redeem them. The death of Christ on the cross makes the bitter sweet. The death of Christ on that tree heals all the diseases of Egypt that come upon us. The death of Christ on that tree 
takes us to an Elam place where God has promised to be with us into eternity. It is this God who meets us at Mara and meets us at Calvary that we celebrate at this table this morning. It is this God that we celebrate in this feast. So at Elam, our biblical travel writer observes that there are 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Is that just a casual observation or is the writer trying to tell us something? Numbers, they're important in the Bible. The number 12, well, that's the number of the sons of Jacob. That's the, the number of the tribes of Israel. It's the number that represents these very people here at the waters of Marah. It's the number that represents the people of God. And the number 70, well, that represents, that's a number of the nations of the world. We see it appearing in, in several places in Scripture. The number of the people of God the number of the nations of the world. So here, too, is a prefiguring of what all this journey and the journey of God's people going forward will be all about. God's people, you, me, the Twelve, called as heirs of Abraham to bless, to be blessed, and to bless the world, the Seventy, called to be blessed and to be a blessing. May we too know the grace of God that when we trust in Christ will cause rivers of living water to flow out from us into a world that God loves and that God wants to bless. Brothers and sisters, go forth in that power of God this God who is able to make the bittersweet, who promises a land flowing with milk and honey and who gives us oases of Elam along the way. Trust in this God, even in these desert places in between. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and remain with us all evermore.